this pushback and this oppression that we're facing is it's so clear that they're genuinely afraid that we can do something, that we can actually have some sort of momentum and, and shift the tide in the United States at least in support of Palestine. Uh, my advocacy for justice in for Palestine as part and parcel of the indivisibility of justice has been vindicated. The Electronic Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. This is the Electronic Intifada podcast. I'm Nora Barrows-Friedman, and you're listening to the Electronic Intifada podcast. Coming up a little later in the program, we'll hear from Professor Rabab Abdulhadi of San Francisco State University. She'll be talking about the final dismissal of a frivolous lawsuit brought by Israel lawfare strategists against her and the university over her Palestine research and criticisms of Israel. The suit was filed as part of a years-long targeted bullying campaign intended to censor and threaten professors and students who advocate for Palestinian rights. But first, we take a look at the recent National Students for Justice in Palestine conference, which was held at the University of California at Los Angeles, or UCLA. In the weeks leading up to the conference, student supporters of Palestinian rights had been facing multifaceted attacks and smear campaigns by university administrators, local city leadership, and anti-Palestinian groups. Los Angeles City Council members unanimously passed a resolution condemning the National Students for Justice in Palestine conference. The resolution openly accused members of Students for Justice in Palestine, or SJP, of holding anti-Semitic beliefs and called on the UCLA administration to shut down the event. Taking a page from an Israel advocacy playbook, Paul Koretz, the council member who brought the resolution forward, himself claimed that SJP members have advocated for violence against Jewish people and, in no casual terms, directly linked them to the bigotry that led to the massacre at the synagogue in Pittsburgh in October. A week before, in a bizarre and desperate attempt to derail the conference, the UCLA administration sent students a cease and desist letter claiming that their illustration of a bear on conference promotional materials violated the university's trademark. The Bruin bear is the university mascot. UCLA backed down on its cease and desist demands after receiving a letter from Palestine Legal and the American Civil Liberties Union on behalf of SJP. SJP stood firm in its rights to advertise its conference with a bear holding a Palestinian flag, but agreed to remove the word UCLA from its poster because the conference location was obvious. In an op-ed in the LA Times just before the conference began, UCLA's Chancellor Jean Block seemed to agree with the LA City Council's smears against SJP, but wrote that he would allow the conference to go on because he believes in free speech. Despite the blatant attempts to repress it, National Students for Justice in Palestine and the Palestinian Youth Movement say that more than 550 students, speakers, artists, and organizers, quote, attended the conference to learn about radical hope, resistance in the face of adversity, making it the largest student conference focused on the Palestinian struggle to date. The groups added that, quote, no matter how severe the opposition was, scores of attendees came and learned about the Palestinian plight, and that is something that no resolution, no administrative critique, and no disruption will ever be able to take away. Joining us to talk about the conference and the organizing by students to challenge the ongoing repression by Israel lobby groups, lawmakers, and university administrations is Aisha Khan of National Students for Justice in Palestine. Aisha, thank you so much for being with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast. 
Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. There's so much to cover about the National SJP Conference. It happened more than a week ago. Uh, this, year's, this year's theme was Radical Hope, Resistance in the Face of Adversity. In the joint statement that came out this week, National SJP and the Palestinian Youth Movement say that uh, the resistance to that adversity is certainly about the wider Palestinian struggle for freedom, but it also applies to what students faced when trying just to put this conference on. Um, can you talk about the situation right now for students organizing for Palestinian rights on campuses in the U.S. and what you've been facing in terms of Zionist groups, university administrators, and even uh, the local city council members who are all were all trying to shut this this movement and this conference down? Yeah, I think um, we've kind of faced backlash for a long time, but this time around with NSJP coming to Los Angeles, um, we had a particularly intense series of, of, of backlash and, and events that, that basically made it clear to us that um, the, you, not just university administrators, but, but elected official representatives um, that are supposed to represent their constituents um, are spreading very dangerous uh, Islamophobic anti-Arab tropes about about what SJP is. Um, we never got approached once by anybody um, that wrote about us, whether it was LA City Council Member Paul Koretz, um, Brad Sherman, um, other other elected representatives, or Gene Block himself, who wrote an op-ed for the LA Times um, that was also pretty inflammatory where he made assumptions about what SJP does and basically said that he would just like to hold a conference to um, just tolerate and preserve the marketplace of ideas, even though um, we're very clear in that we challenge all forms of bigotry, including anti-Semitism, and propo- uh, pr- promote justice and equality for, for everybody without any exceptions. Um, it was just, um, you know, we've, we've been attacked frequently, but we were very misre- misrepresented um, by, the, by the UCLA administration, um, even in their cease and desist letter when they tried to imply that us using a kite um, on, on top of the bear with the dove somehow and could imply an endorsement of violence, which I think um, is kind of the reason we, we wrote our statement with PYM, because it was so important for us to actually talk about all of these things that happened surrounding the conference. And we were so focused on trying to put the conference on that we were just in crisis mode the entire time like you know we would shut down one fire where we would respond to the season to this letter and then that ended up working out thanks to pal legal and aclu and then the next thing we know we have this la city council resolution and then gene block and then at the time we were just in survival mode and we just tried to do whatever we could to keep the conference going and to make sure students on campus feel safe and secure uh, mostly because we did have a very aggressive counter protest at the conference um that was organized by a lot of off-campus groups that weren't students, actually, that have a documented history of assaulting students on campus. So we were more concerned about security and safety more than anything else. Um, but I think now that the dust has settled from the conference, we kind of have time to process how truly horrific all of the coverage around the conference was, where NSJP was never approached about what we do and who we are. And this is by, you know, administrators and actual representatives who are supposed to have our best interests in mind and protect students, whether it's just UCLA students. Um, and that didn't happen. And to look at how problematic it is for elected representatives to casually say that, oh, they might be plotting terrorism. Uh, just just sentences like that that were so casually published in, in the LA Times, the Daily Bruin, um, by congressmen. And I think it's really important to actually hit at how problematic and how dangerous that could be for the safety of, of students who are just social justice organizers trying to do something good. 
Aisha, let's talk a little bit more in detail about the LA City Council resolution. Um, can you talk about what it said, uh, the thrust of it, and how students are responding and organizing against it? Yeah, so I mean, the, the gist of the resolution was that, that SJP is inherently, like you said, tied to anti-Semitism across the United States. And given that there's a steep rise of a very real threat of anti-Semitism and, and violence against the Jewish community, that somehow that is all propagated by SJP and that is the focus of our work. And therefore, um, it, that the conference should be banned and UCLA should not allow this to happen because it's a, we are imposing violence and physical threat to the Jewish community at UCLA and broader Los Angeles. And I think that was just ridiculous. I mean, and it was the resolution that was passed um, unanimously brought to the table by Paul Karatz, but not once were we approached ever uh, about what is this conference about, even to ask us um, what we're going to do and what we're, what we're doing, who, we're, who we are, and all that information is publicly available. And it's very obvious the work we've done um, over the past few years, um, you know, hand in hand with our Jewish uh, organizations that are that we're allied with, like Peace, Worship, Peace, um, to do the work that we need to do to mobilize actively against all forms of bigotry. And I think that was just completely dismissed. Um, but I think now we kind of took um, we kind of took that and and just basically tried to focus all of our energy on making sure that we are in fact actively in solidarity, in tangible solidarity with the Jewish community. Because regardless of what people say about our organization, it was important to us that we're actually mobilizing for the community. Um, so I think a beautiful part of this conference was that we had a Jewish caucus. So we've had identity caucuses before. Um, but we had a pretty massive Jewish caucus time around that was led by Jewish Force for Peace. And they were actually really integral in pretty much uh, leading and organizing our security at the conference to make sure that students feel safe and aren't harassed and um, aren't, uh, I mean, they ultimately did get end up getting verbally harassed, at least by all the kind of protesters, but they had, they were meticulous in helping us organize the conference and making sure students feel safe. So I think we kind of responded to that city concert resolution by one, ignoring it, and two, making sure that we are in you know, we are our relationship with our allies is stronger than ever uh, you mentioned that that there were uh, counter protesters performing you know this manufactured outrage at the conference um, these kinds of so-called protests are organized as you mentioned by right-wing heavily financed Israel lobby groups usually off-campus ones uh, that are bent on spying on harassing and slandering student supporters of Palestinian rights yeah and if you mm -hmm. watch the lobby USA the censored Al Jazeera documentary on the lobby that the electronic Intifada helped to publish we saw how these kinds of protests are orchestrated by these outside groups. Can you talk about the protests uh, that that uh, that were organized yeah. outside the conference and, and if they were able to scare students away? Yeah, I mean, it was honestly, it was quite terrifying. And the problem started uh, even before the conference. So uh, a couple of groups on 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 that arrived onto campus, reservists on duty and Yavimin. And these are, like you said, um, right wing, you know, really powerfully backed up in terms of in terms of the kind of political power they have and lobbying power they have. Um, and they just come, I mean, they have one purpose. And I, I'm a graduate of UCLA as well. So I was a part of um, the organization there, UCLA SJP. So um, I was able to kind of see what they do and what their MO is from like, from a while back. Um, and a big part of what they do is they come onto campus and they disrupt student events. They make students feel safe and nobody wants to be part of events where people are, you know, yelling and, and there's a lot of commotion or, or whatever going on. So their, their single MO is to come and make sure that they somehow 
get the environment to be as aggressive as possible. Um, and I think that's kind of their aim <clears throat> with what happened at the conference. But before the conference, they ended up coming to campus where there was a protest um, against anti-Semitism, which was essentially conflated to be a protest against NSGP. And they ended up assaulting, physically assaulting, visibly Muslim women, um, UCLA students from uh, the Muslim Student Association at UCLA. And that's kind of when we started getting married because it was it was like I think I want to say like three or four days before the conference and it was a really big deal. Um, someone was basically like hit and spit on and um, and assaulted, and we knew that they were prominent organizers of the counter protest. Um, and I think that was made very clear to us as well. And I think we wanted to really really make sure our students don't feel like they can't be safe on campus, even though we have all of the security protocols and stuff in place. So <clears throat> really, what ended up happening was. You know, we had over 500 students on campus, and if you put everybody together at the conference, you know, all of the organizers, even some of the older movement, um, movement members, we would probably have around like 600 people at the conference. And all of these people at points had to move between buildings. So every time we were moving, it was kind of like The Walking Dead, where, where we would be surrounded by these protesters that were extremely aggressive. And all these our students were trying to do is from get, to, from, get from one building to the other, and they were just walking. And um, that's all we were trying to do, just get from one workshop to the other. And the crowd of protesters would throw things, scream extremely vile things that, that we kind of talked about in our statement. Um, really, really dangerous, incredibly racist, Islamophobic remarks. All of their signboards pretty much read terrorists or, or these students are terrorists, SJP is full of terrorists, something like that. Um, and then I actually was on the perimeter. So NSGP steering made sure that we were on the perimeter and trying to protect students. And I got spit on by, by one of the, by a group of the protesters. I also saw like other elected representatives there. We saw Paul Karras there. So they were actively part of this counter protest and it, it ended up being wow. really vile and, and, and really threatening and really dangerous And our students. I mean, all we were trying to do is just get, get from one building to the other. Um, and at the end, what ended up also happening is two, uh, two or three, I, I believe three or four actually, uh, members of that counter protest that were from, not necessarily from, uh, from UCLA, but they were from off-campus um, Zionist student organizations, SSI, Student Supporting Israel, that somehow just got into the conference, um, into a closed space, into a closed safe space that was supposed to be for our students, started filming us. They got up on stage and started filming students. And we know how dangerous that is because students, you know, there's, there's blacklists out there that make um, make it so hard for students who are supporting Palestine to organize because it's, you know, we're, it, it trails us everywhere. All this false information trails us everywhere. Um, and they smear us and they, they, make, <laughs> they make accusations about who we are and what we do, post a lot of our private information online. So now there, was, there were these students that barged in and just filmed students. And I think students were extremely terrified and scared that their faces were going to be plastered over the Internet. And, I, and this is a very real threat. And it's happened last year at the conference, which is why we were so big on security. We found uh, wiretaps under chairs in workshops. Um, and I mean, we're just students. We don't have, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to have high tech security to make sure um, everything's clean and everything's secure. So we just kind of do our best. We make sure the rooms are secure. But we discovered at the last year's conference that some of the workshop rooms were tapped. And they ended up recording our, one of my sessions was completely recorded, posted online like moments later. Um, I don't even know how. But we, we kind of realized that this was a very real threat. The students are always going to be, you know, filmed without their consent, recorded without their consent. Cameras are going to be thrust in their face without their consent. 
And that like people just don't care. Like these counter protesters just don't care how unsafe they make us feel. And no matter how hard we try to protect ourselves against against this very real threat, um, things kind of always always seem to happen. So I think this year we tried our best. Um, there were no incidents at the conference in terms of students getting hurt, which I think was a big success given how violent um, and aggressive the counter protest was and the stuff they were yelling at us and, and berating us. Um, I think it was it was incredible that our students were able to just focus on the conference and not um, you know, not get involved in anything other than that. And I think they were just trying to, you know, put on a good conference and just focus. And I think it was incredible that we pulled that off. That's the voice of Aisha Khan of National Students for Justice in Palestine. Aisha, I'm assuming that Chancellor Jean Block was also very disturbed by the aggressiveness of the counter protesters and, and obviously issued a statement supporting the, his students uh, and their and their safety, right? No. Um, so... So we, yeah, I think, I mean, admin were there um, at the conference. There were, there were a lot of um, admin present. We had vice chancellors present. We had uh, events and facilities managers present. And I know for a fact, it was very clear to them how, how imbalanced the situation was, just kind of like the dynamic there is between oppressor and oppressed and colonizer and colonized. And that dynamic was so clear and apparent I think at the conference because we had a, a group of largely students of color um, and just trying to put on a conference where they're talking about not just Palestine, so many different things and trying to find intersectionality between all of these complicated social justice issues that we care about because they affect our communities. And we were trying to have a conference and across the street, there's a, a group of people that are just yelling terrorists. And I think that irony and that that parallel between what was going on and how that's a microcosm of how brown and black people are treated um, for fighting for their communities and for believing in any kind of resistance is, is it was very apparent to admin. Um, and I know for a fact that they saw all of the vile things that they were saying, all of the incidents, all of, uh, I, I mean, they definitely saw these students infiltrate, walk in with cameras, trying to film people. Um, so they're aware of how, how hard it is for us to even exist on campuses, how hard it is for us to pull off a national conference where we can bring together students from different parts of the country. And it's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just disappointed that, that <laughs> Chancellor Block found the need to write an op-ed, somehow basically just saying that, yeah, students have the, you know, Palestine is not the exception to free speech, but he didn't say that. He just said that, yeah, I should have this conference because, you know, why not? Um, but then also in the same letter defamed us without ever having reached out to us at all. Um, or SJP UCLA was never reached out to by Gene Block. Um, but at the same time, he's he's very aware of what happened at the conference. He's very aware of things that were said. He is very aware of how um, vile and aggressive the counter protest was because admin were, were lined up watching it happen. And we never got um, a you know, letter. <laughs> we never got an email. We never got reached out to after. And I think that's it's very clear um, how biased this whole approach is that university administrations take. Yeah, essentially, Gene Block's op-ed in the LA Times, uh, which was published just before the conference began, he he essentially sided with the city council's assessment of SJP, suggesting that SJP is an anti-Semitic organization. He slammed the movement singling out of Israel for special condemnation, all of these Israel lobby talking points. But then he said, oh, we have to let this offensive exactly. conference happen right. because we're all good liberals and we support some <laughs> modicum of free speech, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. It was just a marketplace of ideas. Right. He wanted to to say every idea should be should have some some space on the university campus and and completely ignored all of the even in his op-ed the clearly 
really problematic anti-Arab Islamophobic tropes of, of the language that he used to describe SJP just because we happen to work on Palestinian human rights. I think even that is not, is so is so important to notice that a chancellor could could write something like that without having to even reach out to his own students. Like he never reached out to UCLA SJP to ask them what the conference is about before he wrote about them. And I think that's so dangerous because Zionist lobbies and firms meet left and right with the chancellor. And that's kind of how they're able right. to, you know, get the op-eds going and get all these talking points and get get all these things that he has to say that, like you said, sound exactly like like all of the talking points they normally have. So I think it's 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 valuable to to notice that we never get approached, we never get asked questions, we never get um, that equal coverage that we deserve from university administrations and and journalism, journalistic outlets in general. Well, finally, Aisha, what can you say about the way that the student movement for Palestinian rights is growing or able to push back against this multi-pronged repression as students are spied on and smeared by not just shadowy websites such as Canary Mission, but by, you know, as we've been talking about, their own university administrations um, who continue to do the work of the Israel lobby? I think um, this conference kind of made it very clear how hard it was for, for people to, to, to do what they need to be doing and what they want to be doing and what they want to support and just have the right to do that. Um, but I think what was incredible was to, to see students at the conference be visibly just, just so unbelievably tired and exhausted and frustrated, but also deeply motivated to see that this is what we're pushing back against. But, but look how much <laughs> just to have students get together and talk about Palestine is so threatening to so many people at so many levels, you know, and this goes way higher up. And, and, and this is, it's just so obvious to us now that this pushback and the suppression that we're facing is it's so clear that they're genuinely afraid that we can do something, that we can actually have some sort of momentum and, and shift, shift the tide in the United States, at least in support of Palestine, that we're actually raising awareness about what, what Palestinians on the ground are going through. And, and, and they're so worried about how we might be able to disseminate some of that truth and get people motivated and organized and and like raise generations of student leaders to be able to care for Palestine. And I think it's very clear that students realize that that pushback is just a sign that we're powerful and what we're doing is important. Aisha Khan, you're with National Students for Justice in Palestine, and we'll link to the statement that NSJP and the Palestinian Youth Movement just put out this week uh, on the Electronic Intifada. Aisha, thank you so much for being with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Friedman, and you're listening to the Electronic Intifada podcast. After three attempts at litigation, pro-Israel lawfare strategists have failed to silence a Palestinian-American professor at San Francisco State University. 
In late October, a federal judge in San Francisco finally dismissed a frivolous lawsuit against Professor Rabab Abdulhadi and the university over her Palestine research and criticisms of Israel, which was filed as part of a years-long targeted bullying campaign intended to censor and threaten professors and students who advocate for Palestinian rights. Judge William Oreck this time dismissed the case with prejudice, meaning the lawsuit cannot be filed again, said the civil rights group Palestine Legal. The lawsuit, which was initially filed in June 2017 by the Lawfare Project and then refiled twice more after each attempt was dismissed, accused Abdulhadi and her employer of fostering a hostile environment for Jewish students, which they claimed was due to the growing support for Palestinian rights on campus. The Lawfare Project is a group that has described itself as the legal arm of the pro-Israel community. Joining us to talk about the final failure of the lawsuit against her and San Francisco State University is Rabab Abdulhadi. She's the Senior Scholar of the Arab and Muslim Ethnicities and Diasporas, or AMED, initiative at the University's College of Ethnic Studies. Rabab, thank you so much for being with us again on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thank you for having me. So first off, what's your reaction to the end of this lawsuit that you've spent the last year and a half trying to defeat? Well, I'm vindicated. I feel vindicated. I feel that uh, our, my scholarship, my teaching, uh, my advocacy for justice in for Palestine as part and parcel of the indivisibility of justice has been vindicated. I believe that it is really important that San Francisco State is proven by Judge Oreck's decision that it is not a place that fosters anti-Semitism or anti-Jewish animus as a result of Palestinian research, uh, scholarship, and uh, teaching. Uh, there might be anti-Semitism at San Francisco State, but this is definitely not part, has nothing to do with what we are trying to do. What we actually, we are very strongly advocate against all forms, anti-Semitism and all forms of hate, hatred, um, hate speech, racism, and racial discrimination. Mm. And although I'm sure San Francisco state officials are relieved that the lawsuit has been finally dismissed, uh, the administration was not exactly supportive of you or protective of your speech and advocacy for, Pal- for Palestine. Uh, you also had to make sure that the university didn't settle with the Lawfare Project, and uh, yes. and and it, but it kept its distance from you and the students who supported you. And all this while the university is itself is cutting funds from the Ethnic Studies Program, which was founded at that campus in 1968. Uh, can you talk about your struggles to keep the department afloat while you are fighting this absurd litigation? Yes. Uh, well, first of all, you are absolutely right that San Francisco State has kept its distance and California State University, actually, uh, the behavior is quite absurd because they have yet to even express relief at being able to be vindicated and to save millions of dollars in litigation and more importantly, even the reputation of the university as a site for social justice. That has been affirmed in 1968. Actually, in two days, it will be the 50th anniversary of the 1968 student strike that basically demanded decolonizing the curriculum, a representation of communities by their faculty, having studies speak to the lived experiences of communities. And um, I do not know why is it that the university has not congratulated me, has not congratulated itself, I don't know if they have congratulated the lawyer that represented them. 
and they have uh, refrained, they have refused to make a comment to any of the media sources. I'm not sure why this is the case, but it has been quite difficult, actually, an uphill struggle to build uh, the Ahmed Studies Program, the Arab and Muslim Ethnicity and Diaspora Studies Program. I was brought to San Francisco State by heavy recruiting in 2007 as a scholar of Palestine studies, as somebody who is going to be building this program. And I specifically chose to be in the College of Ethnic Studies because of its history, because of its claiming social justice, because of its representation of the marginalized, of the colonized. This is exactly the kind of work I do. And it is, it's been quite um, puzzling, let me put it this way, that there have been attempts to strangle the program, to starve us, to uh, not fulfill the university commitment to me and to the community. I have a contract. My, my, my offer contract specifically states that we are supposed to be three faculty members. I am one person. Uh, this has been our searches were canceled after the Palestinian students brought Omar Barghouti, uh, one of the co-founders of the Boycott Divestment and Sanctions Movement, one a leader in the Boycott National Committee in Palestine to speak at San Francisco State. And then the president proceeded to uh, delete the faculty lines, the two faculty, other faculty lines from the budget. Uh, however, uh, I, along with the students, the faculty, the community, a very broad coalition, we were able to uh, propose the minor uh, in Ahmed studies, to have it approved, to have students declare the minors, to study. Our classes are full. Students love and are very attracted by the classes we offer because they're also very relevant, exactly like 1968. We teach about Islamophobia. We teach about comparative border studies. We teach about Palestine. We teach about civil liberties of Arabs and Muslims post 9-11-2001. Arab-American identity, what have you, courses that are actually quite interesting, quite timely, and quite necessary for today's world, uh, both to educate out of curiosity and out of intellectual interest, but also because the environment today requires that we teach in order for us to reach mutual understanding, to have people respect each other, to undermine the hate that has killed 11 people uh, last weekend in Pittsburgh that has killed two people a few days before in Kentucky that continues to claim the lives of people, senseless uh, lives of people because of white supremacy, hatred, Zionism, and Islamophobia. So this is it's very much needed program. It's a very necessary program. So it does, it's not really clear to me why it is that the university, instead of uh, fighting this lawsuit, and instead of fighting these false charges, false accusations, is not standing and saying that we are very happy about it, we are rejoicing about it, we are going to fund the Ahmed Studies program, we're going to uh, grow uh, the College of Ethnic Studies, we are going to provide more courses. I do not understand the only explanation that I have is that the university has been building a lot of connections with corporations and with very right-wing donors who are insisting, like the Correct Foundation, for example, who insist that in order for them to give money to the university, SFSU has to punish Palestinian students, Palestine activism, justice for and in Palestine in terms of research, in terms of teaching, and in terms of advocacy. That is the only explanation, that's the only logical explanation that I can find, and it's quite disappointing. That's the voice of Professor Rabab Abdulhadi speaking to us from San Francisco State University. 
Rabab, uh, can you give us a little bit more of your personal history um, being a, a, a real target of uh, Zionist groups and Israel lobby organizations uh, since you came on board at San Francisco State uh, more than 10 years ago? Can you talk about how, how this lawsuit kind of fit into that pattern of trying to just whittle you down um, and and defame you, slander you and the students that, that support you and take your classes. What um, what kinds of patterns uh, have we seen at, at SF State? Yes, um, this has been an ongoing pattern. And I should say that this is a pattern that's reflective of attacks on other campuses. But somehow, I believe that uh, the, the attack has been quite intensive against me at San Francisco State University because the Zionist groups have succeeded in convincing the president, past president of the university to cancel the searches and delete the faculty lines. Once you delete faculty lines, once you cancel searches, once you have no funding of a program, no staff, just one person, at one point that person is going to basically weaken and not be able to do it or quit and go somewhere else. And this is exactly what they have been trying to do to me, especially as we started institutionalizing the Ahmed Studies program. The more we were trying to institutionalize, the, the heavier the attacks and the more defaming and, and sneering and McCarthyism has taken place. So, for example, first, as I told you, right after the 2008-2009 bombing, Israeli bombing of Gaza and the murderous attacks against the people of Gaza, uh, the Palestinian students wanted to bring, to commemorate the Palestinian mural, to bring Omar Barghouti to speak at San Francisco State, uh, a group of uh, uh, 10 um, delegations from, led by the Jewish Community Relations Council came to San Francisco State President and demanded that the event be canceled and questioned why am I on faculty, uh, especially because I'm a very strong advocate of both divestment and sanctions, and I've been one of the people who have been involved in academic and cultural boycott of Israel since actually 2003, 2004, uh, officially, but historically, I've been very much part of uh, boycott. Um, I've organized around South Africa. I was very active around South Africa. And uh, by the same token or any, any other forms of oppression, this is the least anybody can do is boycott oppression in order to make sure that the people who are institutionally at the helm of operation, are held accountable. That's the only way you can actually hold people accountable and right the wrong course. And so they, the, 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 when, when our faculty searches were canceled and our faculty lines were taken away from us, I believe that they thought that I'm going to give up. The thing is, is that I do not give up personally, but I also have a very strong community and when I say community, I'm not just talking about Palestinians, Arabs, or Muslims. I'm talking about the community of justice, of people who represent the majority of humanity, who have stood by us, who have supported us. So we continued. The more we continued in 2013, when we were about to uh, propose the minor program in Ahmed studies, and that was actually because we couldn't do it right away when I started in 2007 because San Francisco State has placed a moratorium on all new academic programs uh, because uh, there was a committee that was revamping the academic curriculum. So until they revamped the curriculum, we were, it, things were held in abeyance. The minute that the moratorium was lifted, we started proposing more courses, 
proposing them as general education, which means students from all over the university can take them, proposing the minor program and so on. And then in 2013, we witnessed a very strong AMCHA attack, AMCHA, which is placed at UC Santa Cruz, one of also um, member groups, um, I would say member groups, I'm not talking about official membership, but they are part of the Israel lobby. Uh, they waged the defaming campaign against me, against Palestinian students, against um, activists at San Francisco State, claiming that uh, Ahmed and I might be engaging in the glorification of the murder of Jews. It's very interesting because I've been teaching my Palestine course at San Francisco State since 2009. And if I had done or said anything that would promote hate speech, this would have been stopped a long time ago. And anybody who knows me and knows my politics knows that I'm categorically against all forms of racism and racial discrimination, including anti-Semitism. So they waged this very strong attack. In 2014, they escalated the attack. This was during my sabbatical and basically accused me of misuse of university funds and of consorting with terrorists. And basically they cherry-picked two leaders, Palestinian leaders, among 189 leaders that I've organized to meet with the delegation, academic and labor delegation in 2014, and focused on them because that was very easy for them to mobilize Islamophobia and the war and terror to defame me. Uh, the university conducted three different audits, one by the college, one by the administration, and then a five-year audit uh, on my collaboration with uh, Palestinian universities. Not a single question was about missing receipts or about a penny that was lost. All the questions were political questions, and I was exonerated. The university found in every single investigation that I did nothing wrong, that there are no merits to these allegations. You think they would stop? No, they haven't stopped. They have actually escalated. At that time, you mentioned something about San Francisco State. San Francisco State actually was reproducing on its website all the, uh, the false uh, smearing and falsification against me on their website. And we kept trying to ask the university to take it down. And they kept saying, this is the algorithm. And we said the algorithm is not neutral. People set up the algorithm to search for specific things and you put them and you're reproducing things that actually have been found to be wrong by the university, which means you're contradicting what the university stands for. That continued. Then we were, uh, the more we um, uh, formed uh, achievements, made achievements. So, for example, when we started the Edward Said Scholarship, uh, there were uh, people at the university, pro-Israel people at the university who tried to stop it, saying that we do not have permission from the Saeed family. Uh, I, have, I contacted uh, Mariam, uh, Edward's uh, wife, and she contacted his children, Wadia and Najla, and they all came through and said, no, we actually support this Edward Saeed scholarship. So we stopped them in their tracks. So then we tried, we started the minor, and after we started the minor, the attacks escalated. So we have seen... For example, ongoing attacks by the David Horowitz, uh, quote-unquote, Freedom Center, by the Canary Mission, which is the shadowy group that has been exposed recently that actually basically defames the reputation of anybody, students and, and faculty, who advocate for justice in for Palestine. And an um, uh, electronic intifada has just revealed put the part one and part two of the video's Israeli lobby that Al Jazeera uh, did but withheld for quite a while because of political pressure and political considerations between the Qatari government and um, the Zionist Organization of America. And so that was that was going on. Then the Campus Watch, which is another 
uh, Israel lobby group that uh, is led by Daniel Pipes, who is characterized by the Southern Poverty Law Center as one of the top leading Islamophobes in the country, started a campaign, a petition against me, uh, demanding that San Francisco State break its agreement with Al-Najah National University in Palestine, which I proposed based on the prodding of President Wong, actually. He wanted to have agreements with sites in Arab and Muslim communities. So I went and I basically used the connections that I've had with Palestinian universities. This is my research. This is my area. This is where I come from. And uh, we finally proposed it, went through every single level, channel. It was vetted. All the T's were crossed, all the I's were dotted, and the agreement was passed. Then they tried in 2016 to uh, undermine this agreement. They, they created a petition demanding that uh, the university break its agreement, calling me a terrorist, terrorist uh, supporter. They said that I want to take San Francisco State students to Palestine to indoctrinate them in terrorism. And uh, that was followed by a campaign by David Horowitz, uh, who was also a leading Islamophobe, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center, and the Canary Mission, where they placed posters uh, of uh, of my face on campus, calling me Jew hater and terrorist supporter. And of course, they did that to many other of my colleagues. I'm not the only one. But this was an intensified attack. You're asking me about San Francisco State, so I'm speaking about my own campus. And they placed them everywhere. And they also defamed my students, students who were active, and Palestinians and non-Palestinians, by the way, not just Palestinians. And then they escalated the campaign to attack, to accuse us of anti-Semitism. And, and so this continued until the lawsuit. That was when the lawsuit was filed in June 2017. Those other attacks have not stopped. So we've seen four sets of posters placed by David Horowitz and the Canary Mission on campus. We, the, the, the campaign by uh, Campus Watch continues. Actually, two days ago, they published another defamation campaign about me because they are refusing to accept the decision of the judge that basically said they were wrong. They're totally wrong and they're defaming and they're smearing us. And they tried to uh, twist around my concern about Nazi students at San Francisco State and the worry about having Nazis on campus, uh, turning around, making it sound as if I'm actually welcoming, which has been very clearly shown in all the newspapers and all uh, the media and so on. And I believe the main reason you are asking me why they are doing it is because and, and the, 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 the lawfare is the same way too, is basically tying me up in litigation and mm-hmm. uh, making it very difficult for me to survive and uh, making it when they failed in their campaign. They actually, when they filed the lawsuit, they claimed that I was consulting with, with trying to interrupt the student in terrorism. They requested public records from the university. The university gave them 440 pages, among other public records, of my emails with Al-Najah. None filtered. I did not look at any of them. The university selected them and sent them, gave them to Lawfare. Lawfare, when they revised the lawsuit, they did not put any of it. They never came back and said, we're sorry, we apologize because we accused you of terrorism, we accused you of anti-Semitism and so on. They just removed it from the lawsuit. And they've done this consistently, but the goal of it is to actually tie me in litigation. To uh, They sued me individually in order to bankrupt me. I mean, basically, like take, it's not, they're not suing me only as part of the university. They're suing me individually as a person. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically to teach, as Brooke Goldstein, the executive director of Lawfare, said, we are going to exact a heavy price. We're going to make the enemy pay. 
and they basically want to use me in order to teach a lesson to junior scholars, to graduate students. Don't you dare speak up about justice for and in Palestine. Don't you dare teach about Palestinian rights. Don't you dare touch Palestine. Be silent completely. Otherwise, this is what's going to happen to you. Thankfully, we were able, with my two amazing, amazing pro bono lawyers, and a very big uh, movement that we don't have money, we don't have resources, but we were actually able to defeat lawfare. It's supporting the Israeli government, the Israeli lobby, and a mega law firm that, that is working with them, very prestigious law firm in San Francisco, of over 900 lawyers. This, this, is, this is shows that might doesn't always make right. Actually, if we organize ourselves, we are able to stand up for justice. And so this is really, this is quite exciting for me. It's, it's been exhausting. It's been really, really hard and difficult. But I've been, I've been energized by the, I've been energized by the thousands and thousands and thousands of people who stood by me, who made it possible for me to be steadfast, as we say in, in Arabic, smooth, to uh, stand and, and, and uh, refuse this injustice, to refuse these lies, to refuse this meeting. I was going to ask you what keeps you going, but I, I think you just answered that. Yes, this is, I mean, it's the people, really. It's the people, it's the students. It's the fact that they learn. It's the fact that they sit in the class and they learn and they engage. And uh, so now students, a group of students and I are actually putting together a proposal for study abroad in Palestine. So we're going to, we committed it to the university. We want to have a course in conjunction with Palestinian students and faculty to teach, learn together teach together, uh, be able to uh, exchange experiences, learn about the world outside the, um, the, the campus itself. I mean, this is what learning is all about. This is what makes it so exciting. Rabab, finally. It's worth the fight. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, no, no, I said it, it, it just, it, it's worth, it, I don't think anybody should have to go through this really hellish experience that has been really, really difficult. But uh, uh, fighting it and uh, having the judge dismissed with prejudice and coming out and basically saying that none of these allegations is true, that justice for in Palestine definitely does not equate um, anti-Semitism, anti-Zionism is not equal to anti-Semitism. That has been quite a vindication. Rabab, finally, um, tell us about the message that that lawsuit's dismissal sends not just to other Israel lobby organizations that are intent on crushing criticisms of, of Israel on college campuses, but also to the students and the organizers and the faculty colleagues of yours across the U.S. who are facing these kinds of attacks and, and are, are keeping the fight uh, to resist them going. Well, first, I think it's really important to say, look, do not be silent, do not be afraid, do not shy. Uh, out from speaking up for justice, for justice for Palestine, justice for all. It's really, really important to do that. Uh, secondly, it shows the power of movement and organizing coming together. Third, it shows also that what we are, what Palestinian people are going through and what we are teaching about here is something that, as Mahmoud we say, is worth living. There is something on this land that's worth living. It's life. It's justice, it's love for the community. So I think this is really, really important for all of us. It's a message for all of us. This one is not just for me, it's not just for my students, for my colleagues, for my union, which is amazing at San Francisco State, for the movement in the Bay Area and, and the US. It's really important for all of us. It's, it's, it vindicates us, it vindicates us and it shows 
that justice for in Palestine has nothing to do with hate, with hate speech, with racism, with any forms of racial discrimination, as it should be. Rabab Abdulhadi, you're a professor and senior scholar of the Arab and Muslim Ethnicities and Diasporas, or AMED, initiative at San Francisco State University's College of Ethnic Studies. We thank you for all the work that you do and for keeping the fight going all these years. Thank, thank you so you. much, Rabab. That's it for the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thanks to Sharif Zakut, our music maker and production assistant. For news, information, cultural features and reviews and pointed opinion and analysis, visit us online at electronicintifada.net, where you can also post comments and sign up for our daily email digest. Follow us on Twitter at Intifada. Radio stations are free to use this podcast. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, support the Electronic Intifada by rating it and leaving a review. On behalf of all of us at the Electronic Intifada, thank you for listening. <laughs>